Hey, Rob. Hey, Nick. It's another episode of East Meets West, where you and I discuss contemporary Canadiana from our adopted homes in Ottawa and Calgary. A much more subdued episode. Yeah. We got up early, because Matt was going to be on this episode. Yeah. But in happy news, Matt got a job and was treated to dinner. And apparently in Australia, dinner means you going hard till like 10 11 at night so he's he's out yeah i assume it means drinks is what it means and why wouldn't you say drinks what a crazy backwards world no, australia I mean, must be dinner where you also have drinks and stay out ah uh, that would also make sense it would <laughs> so this week has been crazy nick it it really has yeah, no. Where do you want to start? Well, we had we had an election. That happened. Yep. I feel like that'd be a good place to start. Considering that's going to be the main like bulk of the conversation, I, I agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> what were your expectations coming into the election, Rob? My expectations were the liberals were going to keep to what they had been polling at and probably get a minority but probably not get a majority that is also what i thought yeah and it's funny because we talked about my blog post where i predicted everything kind of not hard predictions but general predictions very exceedingly general predictions and that's basically what i've been predicting all along right although with the length of the campaign it didn't look like that would have happened almost right up until the end of it. Yep. Which I find kind of funny. The conservatives called this outrageously long election campaign. And the, the assertion from a lot of pundits, and frankly it makes sense, is that the conservatives have the biggest war chest of any of the other parties. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they thought maybe they would get a competitive advantage from outspending the rest of us. And didn't go so well for them. No, it, uh, I mean, I don't know that their money was necessarily all that well spent. They put a lot of money into advertising <laughs> for people who were already, either already going to vote conservative or trying to sway people who would never vote conservative and they if they i feel like if they had stuck to their to stuck to what they know how to do they might have been i don't know if that would have helped them but it, i think it would have been more successful yeah it's it's hard i don't know if you remember the uh the election with paul martin very vaguely where Actually, no, it, it wasn't this dramatic a swing, but uh, Martin was reduced, reduced to a minority government, uh, Harper being the official opposition, and then Harper took power. Yeah. And it was, they did a lot of, it wasn't the most positive election campaign. There was some negativity to it. Mm -hmm. But uh, they had some good points. Like they were obviously harping on uh, 
the corruption within the liberal party. Yeah. Or at least the perceived corruption from after the sponsorship scandal. Well, they talked a lot about how they wanted to reduce taxes because taxes were significantly higher than they wanted them to be. Um, they were talking about how they wanted to reform the Senate, you know, yada, yada, yada. Like they had some interesting and good points and they communicated very effectively on what they wanted to do. Oh, well, healthcare wait times was one. Okay. But stuff like that. But I mean, if you, it's in stark contrast to this past election because this past election was less, you should vote for us because, and more, you shouldn't vote for these other people because. Yeah. Which Canadian broadcasters and Canadians in general will like to get on their high horse and say, well, negative campaigns don't work up here. But I'm here to tell you, after seeing the conservative governments in, uh, what was it, 2007, 2008, and 2011, mm-hmm. negative campaigns work. They, they destroyed work. They can the work. They destroyed the careers of Stefan Dion and Michael Ignatieff. That's that's fair. Yeah. So, like, they actually had a, a flash animation of a puffin pooping on Stefan Dion at one point, <laughs> and like as as much feigned outrage as there was, they still destroyed him. Right. And honestly, they tried to destroy Trudeau, too. It's just Trudeau managed to, you know, let it roll off his back a little better. Uh, or, their arguments against him weren't great. They weren't particularly valid. <laughs> well, it was a lot of, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying no forever. Just no right now. Yeah. He's just not ready. But he's got nice hair. And it's like, <laughs> could you be any meaner, perhaps? Yeah. And I don't know, but he countered, Justin Trudeau countered very effectively with his his version of the Just Not Ready ad. I don't know if you saw it. I probably saw it for sure. But uh, which what what were they saying? Like, what was his counter? Uh, it was the Library of Parliament, I think, was in the background. And he was walking through a field and he was like, you know, they say I'm not ready. I'll tell you what I'm not ready for. And then he proceeded to list off, you know, all the perceived wrongdoings of the conservative party. Right. He he did very well. Mm-hmm. But well, that's uh, good. Yeah. The whole How not did we ready get thing. Here? The the whole not ready thing. Let's. I, I want to talk a little bit about that because I heard someone raise the very interesting point that uh they were all saying oh you know he's too young he's he's got lots of charisma sure but he's he he hasn't had enough experience to be able to run a country properly and pointing out that he's actually two years younger than harper was when he took off when he took prime minister's office 10 years ago yeah it's just yeah it's just not a great argument and i think people saw through that pretty well except was, for maybe i it think it for hardcore conservatives but not for not for people who were already fed up with Harper. You'd think so. But I heard from, well, I heard from what I'll call a reliable source. <laughs> there was some water cooler talk in which they said, well, I mean, I like Trudeau, but I just don't think he's ready. And it's like, 
this person looked at them and said, you know that's verbatim from the ads, right? Like if you've got an issue, by all means speak up. By all means tell me what your issue with this person is. But don't quote the negative advertising around that person. Yeah. Yeah, it was very obvious that that, that was happening though. At least to to most people. Yeah. It's It's funny how that works. Yeah. Yeah, so one hell of a campaign is, I guess, what you'd describe that as. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I wanted to say before we get too far into the, the post-election thing, maybe we can talk a little bit about all of the, I guess, conservative, the right-wing uh, journalistic operations. I don't even, what would you call it, like publications? newspapers magazines uh all the post media owned uh um, i was gonna say everything post media yeah they they all went out of their way to endorse either stephen harper or the conservative government uh and i i read a couple of these these editorial pieces and they were all written not by an author but by the staff of the paper like it was lit- it literally just said like whatever it's a letter uh, from the editor. Exactly, but it never it never actually named any writer. Okay. And it it kind of made me cringe because it was saying it was making points as though they were valid and good points, but I can only imagine the points being convincing to someone who is already strongly conservative. I just thought is this supposed to be convincing me of anything because it makes me feel worse about the conservatives. <laughs> I don't I don't know if you felt the same way. I I don't know. I've I've I read a few of them and it was like you know, I I respectfully disagree. Mm-hmm. But I I'm kind of jaded with anything post media because yeah. the National Post was actually and I'm I'm not making this up or, you know, appealing to a conspiracy theory it was created by conrad black i think so far as i understand to Mm -hmm. provide a big c conservative newspaper on the national level yeah that is why the national post and post media exists on a national scale billionaires pet project who wanted big c conservative news in canada yeah, that definitely is why. And I mean, if you look at the success of Fox News in the United States, then sure, yeah, absolutely. It works. It right. makes a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You scare people, you get them upset. You can sell a lot of papers. Actual physical papers, which is hard to do these days. Very hard. There's only a certain demographic that actually buys physical paper anymore. And that's who they're trying to appeal to, so... <laughs> And I'll tell you a story about my dear grandmother. Um, they live, uh, my grandparents lived in Brockville, Ontario, my maternal or yeah, maternal grandparents. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming down from Ottawa once to visit them. And I saw that they had the Ottawa citizen and I went, Oh, how long have you subscribed to that? I thought you got the globe and mail. And my, my grandpa told me, 
Oh yeah, well, we used to get the Globe and Mail, but then uh, then they ran an anti-conservative editorial once, and your grandmother threw the paper down and said, Well, we're not buying this rag anymore! <laughs> and now we get the Ottawa Citizen. Okay. <laughs> That's all it takes is one. Just one. Wow. And my my paternal grandparents would also, like, they'd call up my parents on election day mm -hmm. and say, now make sure you go out and vote. And when you do, make sure you go out and vote for the right people. <laughs> and Not the left is... people, the right people. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't <laughs> thought about that double entendre, but yes, that is exactly what they meant. Yeah. Yeah, there is there is a market for that kind of mm -hmm. yeah. Do you is, want to talk at all about Calgary Center? Do I ever? I assume you do. I actually. When did we podcast? We po we podcasted Saturday night our time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um. We did that. And that was great. Had a lot of fun. Good times. Um, I worked on the Get Out the Vote campaign on the Monday. And from there, we went to the Bank and Baron on Stephen Ave, which was a fantastic location for the for the party. Yeah. Like, uh, I think it was CTV News actually had a broadcaster there with the stage in the background okay because it was supposed to be such a hotly contested uh contested riding yeah and apparently not too far away stephen harper himself was having a rally in the telus building <laughs> okay which really speaks to how central calgary center is to calgary in right. that harper wasn't in his own riding he yeah. was in calgary center because that's where you go when you want you know exciting a party. things to happen yeah yeah. Love Calgary Center. <laughs> anyway. What a night. Just what a night. So for people, because I, I was glued to the only writing I really cared about was, well, there was a couple in Ottawa that I was kind of interested in seeing, but the the one that I was most attuned to was that writing, Calgary Center. So what happened for people who weren't glued to that writing? Well, we'll start by saying that when we got in there, the we got into the building right, you know, half an hour after the polls had closed from Alberta to Quebec. Okay. And it was pretty darn quick that a liberal majority government was declared. Mm -hmm. And the place got a little loud. <laughs> uh, the, the people in that building were kind of excited about that. But then... The night started to drag a little bit because every poll that started reporting was a conservative poll. It was Calgary Center is a very heterogeneous riding in that there are some very conservative areas and there are some very left-leaning areas. And my goodness, it, <laughs> 
the uh, it would seem that the conservative polls got done pretty early and started reporting pretty early. And it was a little bit demoralizing. By the time, you know, maybe 5,000 votes total had come in, Joan Crockett had a lead over Kent Hare of about 1,500 votes. Right. And I mean, you looked at that, and I, I actually looked at the NDP's share of the vote, which was much lower than should be reasonable. It was yeah. polling at about 40% Crockett, 30% Hare, uh, 5%. NDP. Uh, NDP, yeah. Yeah. And I looked at that and I thought, you know, the NDP were polling much higher than that like days ago. Yeah. So either you had a lot of swing support go from NDP to conservative, which I think is unlikely, or we haven't seen some of the more left-leaning votes come in yet. And by gum, we hadn't. (laughs) And apparently even the candidate... Uh, Kent did an interview that I watched later and he was saying that he was just a little bit concerned at the beginning of the evening and kept harping on his data team like, so uh, where are all the votes for me, boys? (laughs) And they basically looked at him and said, don't worry, Kent, we're our poll, like the polls that we were doing well in have not come in yet. Right. And. They did out of, I can't remember exact figures, but it was roughly 60,000 votes cast out of the 89,000 households, residents, whatever, of Calgary Center. Yep. Roughly 100,000 is the population, but of 60,000 people, 900 votes gave the edge to Kent Hare. Right. Which is... (laughs) yeah it was incredibly close and only like very slowly changed throughout the course of the night yeah it was only after about 150 polls were reporting that we started having a reliable creep towards joan crockett's numbers yeah and even then like apparent we actually had a really good volunteer team we had enough volunteers that we had a scrutineer at every single poll Okay. And so, you know, once the polls had closed and everything had been tallied up and everything had gone to Elections Canada and, you know, people had cleared the building, our scrutineers could report back to our campaign headquarters. And then once they reported back to headquarters, headquarters reported to us what, you know, the numbers were actually looking like. And those numbers were much more promising. Okay. Because it didn't have to go to Elections Canada, to CTV News, to the CTV broadcast. It just went straight from the poll to us. Right. And that was that was a source of happiness about midway mm-hmm. through the evening. They only called it at about midnight. And Kent gave his speech midnight, 1230 or so. Right. And that was when our lead was only reliably like 300 votes. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was kind of intense. I only actually saw it finally get called in at like 7 a.m. Ottawa time. So about 5, 5 a.m. in Calgary where they had, yeah. I guess, enough 
reasonable like they they projected it but they didn't actually call it until very like it was like the last writing called yeah well i mean it was a little bit this will sound silly but i mean they said we won by a couple hundred votes like two three hundred votes and i was like really really i thought we had (laughs) at least one or two thousand in us at least and by gum it was around a thousand that we won by yeah And there was a message from someone on one of the communications channels later. It was saying that at the start, Joan Crockett had a little over 12,000 confirmed conservative supporters in Calgary Center. Mm -hmm. And Kent had like 8,500. So it was like, it was an uphill battle from the start, but by gum, we did it. And is that the first time if ever or the first time in a long time that a conservative has won a seat in Calgary? Or not a conservative. The conservative has not won a seat in Calgary. It is the first time since 1968. Yeah. And That's crazy. we elected two in Calgary. Poor yeah. Matt Grant because he, he looked stellar. Like every time our campaign we thought we were doing well, we would hear about Matt Grant's organization in Calgary Confederation just across the river and go, man, he's doing so much better than we are on like every huh. front. And he he got edged out, but we elected Kent Hare and Darshan Kang from Calgary Skyview. Right. These names are also whimsical. <laughs> yeah. Calgary Heritage, Calgary Confederation. Oh yeah, whoever was on the the you know boundary drawing committee, just just wonderful naming. Yeah, Calgary unicorns, <laughs> Calgary rainbow. Yep. <laughs> Actually, th- we did have Rocky Ridge. That was even pretty... using ice cream flavors now. <laughs> it's Rocky Road, not Rocky Ridge. <laughs> But yeah, so by the end of the evening when they finally called it, like I was just so exhausted from everything. Right. It was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm happy, and... but I'm not like, it's not like we crushed her. And right. I'm just, I just really need to go to bed now. Yeah. And I'm finally starting to feel normal again because I didn't sleep the night before because, you know. Got to get out the vote. 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 Is it time to wake up and get out the vote yet? No, it's time to get out. Got to get out the vote. <laughs> and then the night after, it's just you're not sleeping because you're so jacked up on yeah. everything. Yeah. And it took me like a, a full day or two to calm down. And yeah. Sent Kent Hare to, to Ottawa. Yeah. His personal assistant is going with him. I've advised him on the excellence and location of the Sandy Hill Lounge and Grill. <laughs> of course you did. Yeah. Uh, Every time someone goes to Ottawa, Nick, I'm going to Ottawa. What should I do? Well, you know, there's some interesting stuff around behind the Parliament buildings. It's really good. Be sure to rub Pearson's shoe for luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, downtown's beautiful. Like, go for a walk around there. And uh, Sandy Hill Lounge and Grill. Order the super happy burger. <laughs> Tell Wendy Nick sent you. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's the highlights of Ottawa right there. Basically, right? Yeah. What else? Now that the Science and Tech Museum is closed, what else do you want to see? It's true. That was the big... Although the Science and Tech Museum, once they... I think they kind of... I don't know if there's any kind of correlation between the conservative government giving up on science and the Science and Tech Museum getting less funding. <laughs> but man, it sure seems like there was because it kind of went downhill at the end there until they discovered, you know, the mold and the asbestos and tore it down, tore most of it down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's upsetting. Yeah. Okay. I th- is that is that good for Calgary Center? You are, you're very happy because you're... Your writing is liberal now. I, not only is my writing liberal, but I'm on a first name basis with a sitting MP. Right. Who McLean's endorsed him for a cabinet position. Nice. That's pretty awesome. Not only am I on a first name basis, but I also have his personal email and phone number. (laughs) So there's also that. Wow. So was this McLean's endorsement after the election? Yeah. Okay. It's like, you know, here's here four interesting people headed to Ottawa. Huh. Not bad. And yeah. And so, I mean, Kent's been, Kent's a two-term MLA, so he actually has experience as a legislator. Yeah. And I I think he introduced a bill for LGBTQ rights in Calgary or in Calgary schools. He was the one behind... uh, Gay straight alliances. Okay. I think. I don't know if you've heard about those, but uh, yeah, a little bit. It was a little after you went to school here. Yes. But uh, yeah. No, so he he was behind that initiative. And so, I mean, they're saying, you know, he actually has a lot of experience as a legislator. I don't know what you, what cabinet position you would give him, but Right. Do have you uh got any thoughts on the, possi- the possibility of people whispering about Liz May getting cabinet position as Minister of the Environment? I... Yeah, I mean, it. you could? Yeah. I think it would be a nice gesture. I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if it would be a good idea for it to happen, but I definitely see where yeah. they're coming from. Like, I... You could... I, the thing is, I mean, May's been an excellent advocate and Mm -hmm. I like a lot of her policies, but what are her qualifications versus the liberal caucus qualify or the qualifications of everyone within the liberal caucus? Right. Because they have some really impressive resumes on there. Yeah, of course. And (laughs) I'm not saying no forever. Just know right now. (laughs) (laughs) Give some of the new guys a chance. There's a lot of new MPs. (laughs) Well, I don't know. Like, I I wouldn't be upset by it. Yeah. I wouldn't be, like, skipping down the street either. Sure. That said, like, Trudeau... Trudeau said he wanted more independence within Parliament. So if he thinks that she would be the best choice for the job, then sure. Like, I think... I think C.D. Howe was one guy who – he was an economist and I think he served multiple governments 
while okay. still being a member of the Liberal Party mm-hmm. or something like that, I think, maybe, somehow. But, yeah, like, he did it. I don't see why you couldn't do it. Because right. if you're looking at the entirety of the government and saying this is the best person for this job, then I think that would go a long way and be a really symbolic gesture of saying, you know, this is the this is the whole government. This isn't just the liberal government. This is the government. Right. Yeah, it makes sense to do. I mean, there are some people you wouldn't want in your cabinet because they would probably just get in the way and try to be destructive. But I don't think I think Liz May would just try to do the absolute best job she possibly could in that position. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. And, uh, I mean, you wouldn't want the, you wouldn't want a member of the conservatives under Harper as one of your cabinet ministers, (laughs) but I mean, other than that, you could, I mean, maybe the next conservative leader will be, will be someone who would allow something like that. Wouldn't be too interventionist on that file, but right. Incidentally, did you hear about the leadership review, leadership race? The conservative one? Yeah. No. Oh. Um he didn't say it in his exit speech, despite mm-hmm. the fact that the Bank and Baron was singing na 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 <laughs> hey 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 goodbye i don't actually know what harper said in his exit speech because that's right yeah i heard (laughs) but i mean harper said before the election was over that if he didn't win it he wasn't going to continue on as the conservative party leader right and he's still serving the people of calgary heritage Mm -hmm. but he's not going to be the leader of the party anymore right and so there's now a leadership race, which uh, there are a couple favorites, Jason Kenney being one. I don't know if you remember Jason Kenney. The name is very familiar. He's been a big player. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he is also in a wheelchair. So okay. Calgary has sent two MPs to Ottawa in wheelchairs, one from Center and one from Midnapore. Hmm. Um, I also know Jason Kenny because we ended up having an interview for Kent Hare on the national news because I think Jason Kenny said something to the effect of liberals don't care about Calgary and Alberta or something like that. The liberals hate Alberta. Right. And then, you know, they were like, okay, so we need a high profile liberal candidate in Calgary to rebut, Hey, Kent Hare could do it. And he did. Nice. Yeah. Jason Kenny, very accomplished. I remember at one point, McLean's did an article on him because he's been very high profile. And one of the quotes from Jason Kenny, who got, he gets fired up, as do many politicians. He said he would leave wheel marks on one of his opponents one day. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Don't let different level of abilities get in the way of threatening to F people up. No, apparently not. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Um, 
so what do you what do you think about I mean, we, we we talked a lot about voting systems in the last episode. We talked about, we addressed a little bit of the strategic voting talk that's gone on. Do you think that played a big part or the biggest part in the liberal majority? <laughs> Certainly a huge part. Because mm-hmm. after Tom Mulcair lost Quebecois support, it was basically... It seems like that was the end for him. And so many people wanted to see Harper gone that I think a lot of the vote swung to the Liberal Party. And I'm not I'm not sure. I'm I'm certain it played a part. Strategic voting played a part. But there's also the fact that Mulcair adopted surprisingly centrist policies given the party base. And so I think that might have also swung some people to the liberals, but yeah, but geez, like it was intense. Yeah, it was very intense. I I was not expecting the degree that we saw of strategic voting. We had I think there's a guy uh, in I guess it's Ottawa Center is the name of the writing. Uh, Paul Dewar, he had been an MP for quite some time and he ended up losing. He is very popular, uh, NDP candidate and he ended up losing. Yeah. He to Catherine McKenna, the liberal upstart who just went crazy campaigning the entire time and, uh, pulled out a pretty big win and endorsed by Dave Bryce on his Facebook page. (laughs) Yes. That's the most important part. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, that was the, that was the difference right there. Yeah. I mean, I, I liked Paul Dewar a lot. He was very well-spoken, very intelligent guy. I ended up emailing with him at one point. Okay. I don't know how I got on their mailing list, but <laughs> the NDP sent me a message at one point. And I sent back, you know, just an email like, oh, hey, I like you and all, but I don't live in your riding anymore. So... I, I, there's not much I can do for you. <laughs> yeah. And he sent me a personal email back later. Okay. Just, you know, thanks for your support kind of thing. It was right. really good. Really nice. Cool. Um, yeah, I think despite how well, how well-spoken Matt was last podcast, I'm shocked that my speech so thoroughly trounced his <laughs> or maybe it was just my my appeal to strategic voting that right. uh, that did that because you know obviously it must have been our podcast <laughs> the night before people just across Canada tuned in somehow they all listened to the shocking sm- shockingly small number of downloads I, I'm sure it's seen several several million downloads actually this was by far the most popular episode did i not tell you that oh wow that's that's crazy so yeah just all of canada was convinced yeah. by my appeal to vote strategically so that we could get a different voting system in. <laughs> yeah and i mean trudeau has gone even already he's gone pretty far out of his way i guess considering that he's not he hasn't even sworn in yet towards saying I've made these promises and he had a conversation with Obama talking about, he's already said, we're going to take our fighter jets out of Middle East. Cause he doesn't want to just 
whip out our CF8 or CF18s and show the world how big they are. <laughs> Cuz that was his actual quote from a press conference. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> so he said he said that within 18 months, that was his promise, was 18 months he was going to reform the voting system. And wasn't yeah. didn't necessarily say exactly what the plan was going to be, but that he was going to look into the best possible alternative to first past the post which is leads to things like strategic voting yeah and i remember because i had to look this up because i was getting questions on this Mm -hmm. um he's actually on record as voting against a voting reform bill in parliament that was tabled by the ndp Mm -hmm. but they specifically wanted to see mixed member proportional okay and they said we need to end first past the post and install mixed member proportional. And Trudeau's reaction was, well, no, because we don't know that mixed member proportional is the best option. Mm-hmm. Which, and so, it, yeah. I mean, there was a, I guess, was it one of Matt's friends, one of your friends that posted a, a very interesting thing on, I think, I guess it was probably one of Matt's, posted a very interesting thing discussing, I mean, the fairly, I guess they're not obvious, but the possible downsides of mixed member, pure mixed member proportional, where you end up with a list of candidates that get seats, get extra seats, and yeah. that could be subject to corruption. It could be subject to kind of money changing hands in order to move up or down on this mm. list. And, I hadn't yeah. actually thought about that. I I just still don't like the idea of list members who... Yeah aren't actually responsible to anyone in particular. They just, right. You know, if they had specific list members for specific writings, maybe I would do it, but I don't even know how you would No, Cause you wouldn't track that because it's a popular vote thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So there's that. That's a thing. Yeah. The, the single transferable vote, seems like the best in terms of pure voting systems that have been described in great detail that seems like a good option but i've also heard about uh the block coming up with a sort of hybrid of mmp and single transferable vote so i'm i'm interested to hear the debate coming up and again i don't know the details of that but i've heard mention of it and Mm. i'm kind of intrigued to see where the discussion goes because voting doesn't have to be simple in terms as long as it's transparent it can be complicated as long as it's not complicated for the voter in the booth to figure it out but the yeah. the math of how how it, things get decided as long as they're transparent i think it can be as complicated as as you want as long as it's the the main goal of of a de- democratic system is having political leadership align with popular vote as closely as possible and right yeah. now in our system it is not very uh it doesn't adhere very well to that mm. there's also um and i'm not sure if this is significantly different but i think stv requires slightly bigger ridings with slightly more candidates mm-hmm. um but i also like the idea of just a ranked ballot yeah, really, it's just I, the ranking of the ballot that I really want to see. That one's called just alternative vote, right? I think. Maybe. There's also instant runoff or something like that. Yeah. I think that's part of that same system. Yeah. As it turns out, 
I'm looking further into things and I really just want a ranked ballot. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. You can vote for who you really want to vote for and then say, and these are the other people right. with whom I would be okay. Yeah. One of the things that STV does is that it allows multiple candidates from the same party to run together in the, in the, like you'd have groups of, uh, like, again, you mentioned larger ridings, but you'd have groups of MPs all running in that larger riding and multiple MPs from the same, from the same place that the same party could also run at the same time. And the, the problem that I, I'm just, everything I learned about voting systems, I learned from CGP Gray. And <laughs> so in his description, should we make a t-shirt? Along that, along those lines, I feel like I've that quote is adopted adapted from somewhere. Uh, everything I learned in kin or about everything life, I learned, uh, I learned in kindergarten. kindergarten or something like that. I saw it on a poster in my dentist office at one point. Um, but it allows you to the the vote system we have now, first past the post, basically makes any third party candidate less likely to win and therefore less likely to run in the future. And you end up having a system like in the States where you have Republicans and Democrats and you have independents that run every once in a while and fail. And something (laughs) that's true, but something like, yeah, no, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. Something like single transferable vote would allow you to, would allow those small candidates to have people actually vote for them because they're they align most closely with the, their policies, but if that person, if that candidate doesn't get a large percentage of the overall vote, that vote isn't wasted. It instead goes to their next best choice. Yeah, like I know at least one person in this riding who would say, you know, my first choice overall is the Libertarian Party, and then my second choice would be the Conservatives, and then I don't really care anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then at that point you can just stop ranking. Like you rank as far down as you want to go, and then you just stop when you don't like anyone else or don't care about the differences between the the remaining candidates. Yeah, unless you're in Australia, because apparently they make they make you um rank everyone, which okay. seems silly. I don't like I don't like the idea. But how how would you verify that without actually looking at the ballot afterwards? Sorry. Like when I go in, I go into the voting booth. I may I mark the ballot. I mm-hmm. fold it up and I give it to them. And they and oh, they're saying it the it's not it's not a valid uh, vote unless oh. you fill out everything. Okay. Yeah. I was gonna say like you know they do look at the ba- the ballots after Rob. Right, but they wouldn't be able to like because <laughs> they have the whole mandatory voting thing. So you can I guess if you scrub the ballot, it's not illegal. It's just not counted. Yeah. Well, like, if you do it, don't let people see you. Sure. Because there was a movement an election or two ago, I think, where they people showed up to eat the ballot. Just, like, straight up ate it, which is yep. you are violating the Elections Act, I think, at that point. <laughs> yeah, because you also, can't deface the ballot. Yeah. Yeah. It's like... You could have screwed it up any number of ways, but you had to eat it in front of people. Yeah. We had, uh, apparently, I didn't actually hear this, but apparently in our polling station, when Julia and I went to vote, there was a guy who was talking about all about how he hates democracy. 
and but he really didn't like Stephen Harper, and so he was voting <laughs> to get rid of Stephen Harper. And fair enough, I'm. His reasoning was very bad. It seemed like he he was like you know we. I'm not, it's it's unclear because I, I, I didn't hear him and I didn't get to ask him any follow-up questions, but he didn't actually know. It was like he didn't, he didn't want to vote, but he still wanted there to be politicians. He still wanted someone to lead. He just didn't think we should be picking who would lead. And I was like, I was just like, I wanted to ask like, who, who picks then? Is it, is this a, is this a dictatorship? Like what, I was going to say, well, you have you a monarchy for? and then God has chosen it, Rob. How do you know who God chose if multiple people say God chose them? Well, because because Arthur, king of the Britons, was given Excalibur <laughs> by the Lady of the Lake. And if that doesn't mean that he was <laughs> divinely chosen, Rob, I don't, I, I don't know how to explain this to you. But what if no one in a given election in Canada has Excalibur? Well, no, but we have the governor general who okay. represents the queen mm-hmm. who has divine right. So mm-hmm. it's still – we still have, uh, you know, God did choose the leader or something. No, 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 no. <laughs> our head of state, our executive is the queen who is, you know, d- divine right or something. Mm. So we're still cool. That's, that's how you know. Okay. So the governor general is basically our ruler – our, no, no, she's a representative of our ruler. Okay. Yes. So she picks. I'm or very confused. Just, or he is. Or wait, the queen picks or the governor general picks? I think the governor general just is. Right. I do, I'm, I, I do not remember who the governor general is right now. I know it was Mikhail Jean, but I feel like there's a new one now. Yeah, it's a new one. It's a it's a guy and like three universities laid claim to him as soon as he was appointed. <laughs> Cuz he has his bachelor's from one place and a master's from one place and a law degree from one place or, you know, something like that. Mhm. So, I want to say I'm going to guess David Johnston. David Johnston, is that It sounds right. It could be um Ah, that could be the... He could be our autocrat. Politician in the UK. I can't remember anymore. These things... This is... Oh, there we go. Oh, I thought that was our... I thought that was our governor general. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, the governor general. Oh, okay. I'm trying to think of who the... Does the UK have a prime minister? Yes. Yeah. I feel like his name is David. (laughs) That was David Cameron. (laughs) David Cameron. Is it currently David Cameron or was it David Cameron? It, it is David Cameron because there was this Australian guy who fixed his election campaign and got him elected. And then the same Australian guy was hired on by the Harper campaign midway <laughs> through the election. And as soon as Harper started campaigning with the Ford brothers, uh, mm-hmm. what's his Australian guy bailed? Interesting. Yep. Okay. And also, there, there's an article today that uh, Wayne Gretzky, who appeared at a Harper rally and said Harper <laughs> had been an unreal prime minister. <laughs> Dave, or Wayne Gretzky is now saying that 
he did it as a favor to Prime Minister Harper, and that he would do the same for any Prime Minister. Huh. So, uh, that's interesting. Is that like when you say that a baby is breathtaking, and everyone's like, wait, is that good or bad? (laughs) Well, no, it's, um, I don't know, I forget, because that was all over Facebook for a while. Okay. And one of my friends was like, so if you're a liberal and and a hockey fan, does this make you conflicted? And I wrote back, it's like, well, not if you realize that Wayne Gretzky is very good at hockey, but he's not a politician. <laughs> not yet. Or not a political scientist. <laughs> yeah. Wayne Gretzky for PM. Yes. So <clears throat> that's interesting. Do you... Would you say Stephen Harper has been an unreal prime minister? I would say it has been unreal. <laughs> so you would be using it in the ironic sense. Not the ironic, just Well, negative. not ironic, but disingenuous. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Good to know. Good to know if I ever need an endorsement from you. Unbelievable would be another. Sure. Yeah. Um, incredible would be another mm-hmm. descriptor i think incredible tends to be used in the the non-sarcastic sense much more often than in the sarcastic sense where you literally cannot believe and, and yet here we are yes there well incredible i believe means there's no credibility to it exactly yeah yeah it has positive connotations now but you would be using it in a non-positive uh, way uh, I certainly would. Right. I feel like we can move on from this. Can we? <laughs> this okay. has been an insane diversion. Yeah. Oh, uh, another another thing we should touch on. Mm-hmm. There is someone else that people are saying would make a good leader of the conservative party. Okay. And her name is Michelle Rempel. Um, she won in Calgary Nose Hill. Mm-hmm. And you may have heard of that riding at one point during the election because I think it was Alaba who had the unfortunate Twitter comment from ages ago. That the unfortunate dis- Twitter comment. Yes, the unfortunate Twitter comment that destroyed Alaba campaign and she stepped down. But Michelle Rempel was always going to take that riding because she's, I think, in charge of what she was in charge of Western economic diversification or something like that. Mm -hmm. And just an incredibly charismatic member of parliament. She's got, she's got a lot on her CV is what she has. Okay. And she went on quite a Twitter rant about potentially going for, for the conservative leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Link in the show notes. Yeah, I'll put I'll put the link there. It I was telling you before the show, this is this whole rant is really weird. People should I mean try to read it. It it's su- summarized very well in this article in that they just embedded a list of tweets in chronological order. Uh I made the comment to you Nick that Oftentimes, I I will read a Twitter rant, 
And some person on the internet somewhere, or some maybe even someone in real life somewhere, has said something that made, in this case, this MP feel a certain way, a, a certain negative way about women in leadership and women in politics. And she chose to just basically vent a little bit, get all her thoughts out. Um, but reading through it, it doesn't it doesn't seem like she has whatever was said it's it's not even really clear what is said what was said to get her to this point but she's obviously fed up with the way she was treated uh in discussion of running and i just feel like i me and most other reasonable people are just like what are you ranting about obviously nobody no reasonable person would ever think that why well in fairness we're also both men of, no, of course, and it, it, it's this has nothing to do with. I mean, obviously, her, in her case, it does have to do with gender. That's that's why these people are making these comments. But in my case, my my defense of her is not about gender. It's about the fact that I I hear about these issues. I hear see people going on Twitter rants all the time, and it's not necessarily about gender. It could be about race. It could be about any kind of discrimination. Really, any kind of negative treatment. But you're there's a subset of people on the internet who will take either anonymity or at least distance like physical distance from someone to mean that they feel much more comfortable attacking them for whatever thing they think differently about than than the person doing the attacking and these just always come off as unreasonable people and so defending yourself in this way it just seems it, it's it's weird to me because it seems like she shouldn't have to. Well, I don't just for the record, I don't think these comments were coming from Twitter. No, not necessarily. Yeah. I think this is stuff that she's been hearing systemically mm -hmm. in real life from other conservative party members. And if what she's saying is true, it sounds like based on her record, she's been needlessly belittled or, needlessly discouraged from leadership ambitions i really hope she runs because i mean it would make for an interesting political race if nothing else absolutely having a having a female uh leader having a i mean having female mps in the conservative party is is a good thing any any time you can have a political party that actually has a reason to consider the opinions needs and beliefs of all of its members it's a good thing and so having it, it i am have to imagine that in all all political circles but conservatives probably a little bit more so there's there's a subset of people who believe that women would make less good politicians would make worse leaders than than men would and i think that that's a very tired stereotype i think that it's obviously a very sexist attitude and seeing someone especially she's she's fairly young so seeing someone like that who she's actually very wants, young for yeah for, for a, a person with leadership aspirations and i think that would be really refreshing to see uh she's going to face challenges obviously but i think that fighting them the way she has been is awesome apparently she was the youngest female cabinet minister ever appointed wow so I'm not sure if she'd be the youngest leader elected, but man, that'd be exciting. Yeah. 
young charismatic leader of yeah. uh, the conservative party, that would be, that would make for a really interesting dynamic. I have to wonder if uh, the liberal party would say she's not ready. <laughs> uh, I would hope not, uh, but <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah. Nice hair though. Yeah, it's definitely. <laughs> oh, do do you uh was there more to say on this or do you want to talk about looks in general in this in this election? I was going to I was going to say that would make a nice segue into looks. Yeah. And such. And the Twitterverse has been all a Twitter about Justin Trudeau. Yeah. The whole with- world really yeah, a lot along the lines of, so this is Canada's new prime minister. Isn't he good looking? Isn't he or shirtless? Easy in most on the of eyes. These pictures. Yeah. Ooh, he's got a tattoo. My. Yeah. <laughs> and I will make a brief comment here. I forget exactly when it was. I think it was. Let's see here. I think it would have been summer of 2007. Mm -hmm. I was working in a greasy spoon in Prince Edward County, which is a very conservative area. Yes. It was, it was either this or when I was working in uh, Lakefield, but either way, rural, small, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But I was serving or around some guy and he kind of screwed up his eyes and looked at me for a minute and said, anyone ever tell you that you look a lot like that Justin Trudeau fella? And I, I kind of paused and he's like, not, not that I mean anything by that. It's just, you kind of look like him. I said, Actually, I hadn't heard that one before. But uh, it, it was a rural conservative, conservative area. So, yeah. you know, they say, you look a lot like Justin Trudeau. I, I, I don't mean anything negative by that because... Obviously, he's no a liberal, here. and they're basically the scum of the earth. Those liberals, yes. But. <laughs> um, so I'm going to take that as a tremendous compliment. Now, mm-hmm. you look very liberal. Thanks. <laughs> what with the long hair and I don't know, red shirt. Well, it's Sri Racha though. Oh, I can't really see. Yeah. There it is. That's fair. That's it. For for listeners, it says I love Sri Racha. But yeah, so there's also been a bit of a backlash in which people are saying, you know, if we said these things about a female prime minister or a female politician, it would be grossly unacceptable. Right. And yet here we are. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that, Rob. Well, I, I think that... There's a certain, again, a subset of people that go too far with that those kind of comments. And in general, we're as the human race, we are at least predominantly shallow. We look at a person outwardly and say and make snap judgments about that person based on the way they look. So I don't think that to to. I mean, to objectify men or women is is bad. But I think making judgments and saying this person is attractive 
isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's the, it's the result of what happens after you say that and how you treat them afterwards that, that does that. I mean, I don't think, for instance, after you judge a, a female politician, a young female politician who's attractive, the tendency is for people who make that kind of judgment to go, oh, you know, they're, they're pretty, so they're probably dumb. But I, I don't think it's as common to hear that kind of thing about a young, attractive male politician. I think they would say, oh, they're very attractive and stop talking there and then kind of maybe start talking about their politics. Mm. I could see that. Yeah, because if you stick to the surface, I think it's okay to say that someone is objectively attractive or that you're attracted to them. But it's it's if you treat them differently afterwards based on how attractive you think they are that is the problem yeah. and yeah, people people stay skin deep with females and they never actually think about their other attributes. But with men, I think you kind of that you say that and then you move on. Or perhaps it could also have to do with objectification. Mm-hmm. I mean, so long as you recognize them as people with ideas and thoughts and feelings, and not just a hunk of meat. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, and honestly, part of my calculus when I first heard about Trudeau as leader was that, yeah, he's young and he's good looking. He will do well. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of work uh, in psycho- psychology and social sciences about the attractiveness of candidates and how that affects the race. And people tend to vote for attractive people. It's just how it is, how it's been. Yep. And honestly, Michelle Rempel is very pretty. So maybe having a young, attractive Michelle Rempel would do good things for the conservative party for entirely the wrong reasons. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and that fact aside, she is a very accomplished person and a very accomplished politician at this point. So I think, I I don't think there's any reason for her not to run for the conservative leadership based on her experience. Mm-hmm. but it's uh it's one of those things human beings are terrible <laughs> and full stop yeah well, well most of the time they're terrible and unfortunately it comes up in in pretty much every situation mm-hmm. yeah but uh i think these things are changing they're i mean we're slowly coming up uh, Justin Trudeau has said that he wants his cabinet to have gender equity. Whether mm-hmm. that means it will have a representative number of women compared to the number of MPs that the Liberals have got or that the that were elected in general, uh, or whether that means it's going to be fifty fifty, I remains to be seen. But I think it could mean either. I don't think it would be a lie or inaccurate to have said he wants gender equity in his cabinet and then to. Uh, to put a proportional number of women as opposed to half and half. Mm. Uh, the the number of MPs, the number of female MPs that were elected is rising slowly. I think there was 70-something before, and now there's 80-something uh, female MPs. So They're between a third and a quarter. Yeah. So we're getting there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I I'm excited for that. And it seems like, much to our apparent dismay, the the age of the white male 
in power is is slowly eroding away. No. All these people yeah. with their ideas of equity and um yeah, that's just sarcasm. I can't it's, really go it's any just further. full sarcasm that you're like, no, we this is too close. We can't. <laughs> yeah. We had everything. We had everything, and now everyone has everything. And now we'll only have a representative sample of it, or a representative amount of everything. No. (laughs) Yes. Although we're not old old white men yet. We're young white men. So we're not the, the total stereotype. That's fair. That's fair to say. All right, Rob. There's still hope for us. Let's get to work on living fast and dying young. <laughs> that seems like the best possible use of our time. Clearly. Yeah. Podcast for days. Yep. Podcast so hard that Oedipus wants to find me. <laughs> so if you're familiar with classical Greek literature and Jay-Z and Kanye West's work. So you are quoting, you are paraphrasing rap lyrics here. Yep. That was not my imagination. <laughs> nope. That okay. was that was what that was. Good. Uh did uh did you have anything more to say on looks? Um, not really. It's just that's a big thing that came up. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but un kind of unavoidable and given that humans are human. They are. Yeah. Uh we should talk about the polls before we go because they were pretty close to what actually ended up happening in the election. They were really good. And I love how like 308.com did it. Mm -hmm. Um, Apparently all the polls with the exception of Ecos were within margin of error on what actually happened in terms of the popular vote. Yeah. And 308.com had its seat projections. The liberals got one seat less than the maximum projection from 308.com. Right. And the NDP were just slightly over the minimum projection. So not what you would have predicted at all. Right. But still within the statistical ranges, which I find just fantastic. And I love 308.com. Yeah, it's interesting that it worked out that way. It kind of validates the the strategic voting movement. Unfortunately. Well, um, actually, I wonder how that would affect 300A.com if (laughs) the voting method changes. Like, what does that actually mean? Yeah. Although, uh, other fun fact, just on that note. All governments of Canada are now majorities. What does that mean? Every province and the federal government, they are all majority governments. Oh. Oh, yep. you mean by province, not in this election, if you oh, split no, no, it up no. by province. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Although That's... certain regions of Canada even in the federal election sense. My God, did you see the Atlantic region? Yeah. It was just painted red. <laughs> yeah, a huge change from uh, from what was expected. 
You might say it was well. No, it was expected. Well, no, from to be from what had been. Red. I mean, rather not what yeah. was expected. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, three hundred eight dot com did fantastically. Some polls did very well. Yeah. The uh, so. I'm looking at 308.com right now, their, their article about how the polls and projections did. And uh, the thing that I find most interesting about this, I mean, obviously everything they predicted was within range because they had, they had pretty broad ranges. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but there's the statistics, gr- so yeah, you kind of exactly, have to. Exactly. The Green Party had a minimum of one seat, a low of one seat, a projection of one seat, a high of one seat and a maximum <laughs> of one seat and got one seat. <laughs> Saanich Gulf Islands, baby. <laughs> that standard deviation is tiny. <laughs> well, I think based on how the election was actually going, it was pretty safe. No, it's it's a safe bet, but it means that the standard deviation is tiny. The best oh, yeah, possible yeah. outcome is one and the worst possible outcome is still one. <laughs> yep i mean for liberals it went from 82 to 198 <sighs> but yep. yeah um what was the low on the ndp there 13 oh good for them yeah the block had a low of zero and they got seven actually sorry they got 10 they were projected to have seven yeah very strange uh, is it though after the niqab debate uh, no i mean is it's it fine strange yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um so i just wanted to say before we wrap up that uh i'm hoping that we get the electoral reform that we talked about mm-hmm. um i am really really glad that my riding ended up being very strongly liberal. I was I, w- I was mentioning it to you guys, and the whole my whole goal was figuring out wh- what to vote in the election in, in doing the last episode of this podcast. And by the end of the show, I hadn't yet decided what I was going to vote. And I looked into the the statistics and the history of this riding, found out that there was a ninety eight percent chance the liberals were going to win by a fair margin. And hedged my bets and decided to strategic. I decided to use my tra- my vote as though it were transferable, and vote green, which was just it was such a pleasure to be able to do that. I well, would I have they put. Used to, they used to use uh, the popular vote to determine party funding or something like that. Do they do they not do that anymore? I can't remember. I think but they I, still do. I remember at the very beginning or my first election ever, my candidate lost and I looked at it and went, well, at least the party has a buck 75 that they wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. I th- I'm pretty sure that's still done. If it's not, okay. I flushed my vote down the toilet. But Yeah. There's also some metric of official party status, and I forget yeah. exactly how that works. I, yeah, I forget as well. I think that, uh, I was hearing that the NDP still have it. Yes, yes. But I'm not sure the block do. 
I'm not sure. Yeah. I wouldn't think so, but it really depends on where the, I remember the first Ontario election that I was civically aware for the number of seats you had to have was eight. Okay. But, or it was somewhere around there. And then Mm -hmm. the NDP were reduced to not official party status. Right. And that's not at all transferable to the federal government, but right. That is, that is what I remember. There is usually a, a lower threshold that you have to cross. Right. No maximum though. No, fortunately. It's like if you get over 330 seats in this election, you're just, you're not a real party anymore. You're just unreal. <laughs> unreal party status. Yes. All right. Well, I guess uh, that's all I have. Do you have anything more you wanted to say? Uh, one thing I really like about about the election mm-hmm. and polls and all that stuff is that I still really like that no matter what you say outside, no matter what the polls say, no matter what, I find there's a really significant thing that happens when you walk into that polling booth. And you can just look at the ballot and say, no, totally thought about this. I totally advocated this, but I can't, I got to, I got to go with my heart. Hmm. Are you, (laughs) is this, is this some deeper truth? I don't know. Okay. I'm just saying I like, I like that about society. It's it's very true. It's kind of really one of the only opportunities we get to do that on on a, I mean, regular basis, not all the time, but regular intervals. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing anyone says can impact your or influence your decision at that point. You're just, you're alone with your thoughts. Yeah. No, no, big fan. Do you, you had mentioned, and I'll just cut this out of the show if, if you would rather just end it, but you'd want to talk about toplessness. Oh, right. <laughs> I don't even know why you necessarily want to talk about this right now, but I don't know. It's a subject I've felt strongly on and have really wanted to talk about for a long time, mm-hmm. but I keep getting shut down, but no one's here to shut me down now. No, I would never shut you down when you want to talk about toplessness. Well, thank heavens. I don't know. There was, there were a couple incidents in this summer that, uh, spurred my interest I think it was like Kitchener-Waterloo. Some girls were biking topless, and I think they were still wearing their brassiers or just something like that. Okay. And they were stopped by police and told to cover up. And I mean, if you've spent much time in southwestern Ontario in the summer, you will truly know what humidity is Mm -hmm. and how god-awful oppressive it can be. And there were so many times where, like, I came home from uh, University of Western Ontario and just put a chair in the backyard, grabbed a beer, and took my shirt off and just hung around like that for a while, just going, oh, thank God I can finally cool off maybe just a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I find it profoundly unfair for the government to have a complete double standard on it anatomical differences aside yeah to say no this is perfectly acceptable for men to do but women you're gonna have to suck it up sorry 
is it i'm pretty sure isn't it legal for women to do that in ontario Ontario? it is fully legal because there was a challenge based off of breastfeeding i think okay and i think that actually spurred a lot of the no shoes no shirt no service stuff in ontario well no it existed before but i think it was something to do with nursing a child in a public place and if it wasn't to do with that they are big advocates of the movement anyway okay but yeah i know i still think it's just it gets so hot and men don't have to think twice about just whipping off their shirt and being like oh i'm finally comfortable right and I think there's a lot of social stigma that women would have to deal with just because of how Western society is. But I don't think it's any place of the government's to say that you can't do that. No, I, yeah, I don't think it is at all. I think, especially with the double standard that exists, uh, it just seems like why would you, I mean, in in our given current circumstances, if a woman chose to do that, she would face quite enough as it is without making it illegal. And it seems mm. like a lot of things could be helped a lot if people were more comfortable with kind of non-sexual nudity. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really have anything more to say on that, but... The social stigma is also a problem, though, because, like... It's a huge problem. Like, were a woman to do that, she is going to get shamed so Mm -hmm. much by so many people, Mm -hmm. most of them old. Yeah, almost all of them old. Certainly all of them older than her. Yes, almost certainly. But I I don't know, I, I still think it's profoundly unfair. And every time... I've advocated for female toplessness being an option. I get hit with, oh, yeah, but you're like a guy, so you just want to see boobs, right? Uh, Like, no, I think it's profoundly unjust. That's why I think so. Right. Even if I can't see them, I still think it should happen. Even if I don't want to see them. Right. I think it should be able to, allowed to happen. Mm -hmm. Because as I'm sure we're all aware, you don't necessarily want to see everyone topless. That's true. Even men. There are some men that you wouldn't want to see. Men, women, there's <clears> just <throat> some you don't want to see. There are yeah. probably some men who would take their shirt off and you'd be like, damn, that is impressive. Yeah, I, that happens to me often in summertime. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you people use the word impressive. You, people look at you and get impressed? Is that what happens? People don't look at me. I look at people. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> that must have Rob taken Atrell hours at the gym. <laughs> Weeks, months. <laughs> years even. Yes. I've heard it can take years. It could take years. It would take years, in fact. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, I I think I've tried to talk about this in other fora before, and it's been shut down repeatedly. But no one can shut me down here, Rob. <laughs> Nobody. I just imagine Google, like, closes the Hangout right now. <laughs> <laughs> We heard Nick. He's talking about toplessness. Shut him down. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But 
Yeah, I think it I think it also speaks to larger issues within society, slut shaming being one of them. Yep. Which is also unfortunate because guys can be players and women can be or guys are players and women are sluts. I'm not saying that's what I believe. I'm right. saying that's what is that's the frequent label within western civil or western society, particularly North America. Yes. And it is deeply unfortunate and I actually like what I've been hearing from the feminist community lately because I think when I was younger, I just wasn't hearing the right feminists to be impressed by the theory. Okay. But I was hearing a lot of like, oh, you know, men are just terrible. Women would make such better leaders or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking like my thought process was, well, how can you say that? Like, I would grant you that they're probably as good as men at being leaders. <laughs> but that's basically what a lot of the feminism I've been hearing lately. Right. And a lot of the feminism I've been hearing lately is I'm not even sure why it's called feminism because they are fighting for equal female rights, but they're mm -hmm. fighting for equal male rights, too. Yep. And like I've heard feminists speak on the topic of like men expressing genuine emotion in public and stuff like that and not having to deal with the stigma where if you're not stoic and just stone cold, like then some sort of prissy boy. Right. That you're not a man. Yeah. Yeah. I almost feel like a better name for the movement would be just I'm an egalitarian. Right. Or something like that. Yeah, I think it's one of those situations uh, very similar to the civil rights movement in the like 60s, 70s, where you kind of have to err on the side of the minority for a while or the underserved for and a And it's terrible while. to say that, right? Because yeah. they're not a minority. They make up half the population. When I say minority, I mean the people who have minority the power. But yeah. Yes. I, yes. That, that was I was getting there. It's like yeah. they're not a minority. They have a minority of the share of power, yeah. but they're not a minority. Yeah. And uh so when you when you really get down to it, you kind of have to have the pendulum swing back a little further than equal to let things shake out to get the eventual goal is to have equality, but you have to go past equality to get to eventual equality. Yeah. And that was, I think I, what show was it? I want to say that All in the Family, I want to say, was the show. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the first time I was exposed to that line of thought as a kid was watching All in the Family. And they were talking about the civil rights movement and how affirmative action had, uh, I think, screwed one of the, well, screwed, but Affirmative action was the reason that one of the characters hadn't gotten a job. Right. Or some plot device like that. And they said, mm -hmm. listen, like, you know, towards equality, it's like a pendulum. The pendulum's been on your side for a long time. And so it's going to have to swing over a little bit now. Eventually it'll swing back and then it'll swing the other way. But eventually it will rest on equality. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't that be nice? It would be very nice. And honestly, I think that it, there's a segment of the population that is 
keeping it from swinging too quickly. They're very pushing very hard against it. Yeah. But uh, the younger generations, at least the experience that I've had with people in our generation are pretty gung-ho for it to just be in the middle. when, When people are pushing for equality, they're really not pushing for an advantage. They're pushing for things to be equal. Nobody, nobody is saying that anybody deserves, I mean, on, on the side of people in with a minority of power, nobody is saying we should be above men or we should be above white people. We should be, they're all saying we just want what you already have and have had for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, as far as race is concerned, like, if you've done any traveling in the southern states, not yeah, not those southern states. Well, I don't mean even Florida stuff like that. No, I just I've been in California, and that's they're okay. very very progressive compared to the yeah <laughs> the other side of the country. Not the Bible Belt in California, right. but I mean you can look at what's happened. And you can say, like, this is just, these are the consequences of systemic poverty on a population. Mm -hmm. And it's really sad that it has come to that. Like, to be black in the United States, especially in some areas, is just, you're not afforded the same possibilities or opportunities because of, not necessarily the color of your skin, Mm -hmm. but the color of the skin of your great, great grandparents or something like that. Yeah. And it's just, I feel like it's a similar sort of situation to the native population in Canada because there are a lot of people that I would say they're not living up to their potential and I don't think they are, or I don't, I'm not sure that's the fairest thing to say. Through no fault of their own, maybe. Yeah, through no fault of their own, they're not living up to what they could be. Mm -hmm. And it's like drugs and alcohol are a horrendous problem. Like some people don't have, a lot of them don't have access to clean water. Yeah. And in Canada, we pride ourselves on affording equality of opportunity to people. But kind of ended up being a quality of opportunity for non-native people. Yeah. And I mean, they have a lot of opportunity. Like the band will pay for a university for a lot of them. And there's a lot of opportunities through funding and stuff like that. But I feel like we might have to re-examine quite how we coexist that that's a really tough problem to solve because you would think that perhaps the best possible solution would be to try to assimilate them more into our society but that may not be we tried that with the with the uh, what is the residential schools and that went terribly yeah because there's still a lot of prejudice, there's a lot of discrimination that they face, and they may not necessarily want to be assimilated, which they have every right to not be. 
so yeah, that there's no, there's no answer that comes out obviously jumping me in the face as to how to do that. But it seems like they have opportunity, but it's not necessarily easy for them to actually take advantage of the opportunities that are present. Yeah. And I mean, one of Justin Trudeau's platforms is spending a bunch of money on uh, the education of native people. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that is an expenditure that is so well worth it because it just, all it's doing is bringing the funding to parity with funding per like non-native person or something like that. You're just trying to get parity. And honestly, like, Matt and I were talking last episode about social programs that will pay for themselves. Yeah. If you get native children actually, you know, growing up and participating in the economy and paying taxes and doing productive work, that program will more than pay for itself. I am sure of it. Yeah. And that's why we spend money on education right now because you will eventually get more out of that person than you're putting in right now. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Yeah. I just, man, that's tricky. East meets West, where we take the bold stance that there should be a quality of opportunity for all people. Bold stances. Nick, that's such a hard question because every time, like I can think of, five or six different possibilities for how to best educate every child in Canada. And I don't want to take this stance where, you know, the native people in Canada should get Western educations. I don't think that's necessarily the best option. I I don't think we should whitewash history like that because that is what would inevitably happen. But I also... I'm not sure, at least at the moment, I don't think reservations are necessarily prepared to take that on themselves, even if they had money. I don't know that they're necessarily ready. They might, they would need more resources as well. They might need other help that money itself wouldn't provide. It, that's a really tough problem. And I don't, I, I think that the, the tack that politicians have been taking recently, at least that the more progressive ones of involving um high-ranking officials in those decisions is the best possible way to do things and so it's kind of like no matter how much we talk about it or no no matter how much any white people talk about it we are not going to come up with the best possible solution we need to include everyone who's involved in the conversation and come up with the best solution together and if that solution ends up being that they they will should get more western education than do that but i don't think we should in by any stretch try to force it upon them or say that's this is the best thing you could do Mm. although i have been to some of the native schools like in the belleville area or Mm -hmm. i think there might just be able to the one but like as far as I understand it, the Tyendinaga Mohawk territory controls their own school. So, right. I mean, I think it's fair to let them set their own education so long as you're meeting some minimum provincial standard yeah. of 
you know, literacy and basic mathematic ability. And I don't mean mathematics. I mean, arithmetic, mm-hmm. like some of those basic fundamental skills, but I don't think that so long as you're meeting those minimum requirements, there's any excuse for underfunding uh, native schools. No, and apparently that's a big issue in Alberta. Right. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'd, li- I'd really like to learn more about this and really figure out where everyone's coming from. And granted, it's even within the... Na- the native population it's probably an incredibly diverse group because there are so many bands across canada and they're from so many different places with so many different traditions Mm -hmm. but i think this is why i really wanted to talk about toplessness it just makes sense nick i yeah it's so obvious that you where you're going with that clearly (laughs) i used boobs to grab your attention and then took that and talked about a quality of opportunity for all people. Mm-hmm. I stopped paying yep. attention after you said grab boobs. You didn't <laughs> say them, those words together, but you did say those words. Damn it. <laughs> Foiled again. <laughs> so uh, I don't think we've solved this quite yet. No, but I like talking about it. Yeah, it'll take a couple more episodes, I think, to really get to the <laughs> bottom of it. <laughs> yeah. A few episodes from now, the the problem will be solved and all will be hailing Justin Trudeau, but we'll know. Yeah. Because we'll have seen a a several million download uptick in our... Well, we'll have seen a continued millions of downloads. Right. Yes, of course. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Nick, it was very good talking to you this week as usual. You as well, Rob. All right. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you later. Talk to you then.